He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Today, as our uh, little subtitle indicates on the front of the bulletin, uh, is themed World Mission Sunday. Um, This is a relatively new commemoration for us as Anglicans. Um, This is uh, something that the Archbishop instituted, uh, I think it was two, maybe three years ago, um, to have one Sunday out of the year where we remember the world mission of the church, the worldwide mission, the global mission of the church. Um, We remember to pray for those who have been sent by God into the mission mission fields across the seas, um, and, uh, and we remember that the church has a mission, that she's called to, uh, to a purpose, to reach others uh, for Christ in the world. And the fact is, most of us are not called to travel across borders or oceans to share the gospel, um, but all of us are called to participate in some way in this global, worldwide mission of the church. Um, many of us participate by praying. Um, as we heard in our gospel reading, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and so Uh, We pray that God would send out laborers into that harvest. Um, But there are also ways that we're called to uh, 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 share the gospel in our own context, um, in our own world, in our own communities, where we find ourselves. Um, The word uh, that Jesus gives to the apostles in the the book of Acts, that word that I I reread for us, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that that has an ongoing impact for the life of the church. The fact is, if we call the church apostolic and we do confess one holy Catholic and apostolic church, we call the church apostolic. What the word apostolic means is sent. Um, It means founded on the apostles, but also founded on that mission of the apostles, which is to be sent to um, into the world to bear witness um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if the church is apostolic, if the church has a mission, um, the fact is that when we often, and I'll make a little side note disclaimer here, when we use words like that, mission or, or uh, evangelism or um, talk about sharing the gospel, I think many of us have a clear sense uh, that the church is probably not doing what she should be doing in those areas, that many of us probably aren't doing what we should be doing in those areas, what we could be doing in those areas. Although it can be awfully hard to put our finger on why exactly that is. Uh, when we read the, the book of Acts, when we read the New Testament, we, we hear these moments in church history where people are flooding into the church. They're just coming by, by the thousand. I mean, in the first couple of chapters of Acts, we have uh, people uh, turning to, to Christ by the truckload. And um, that seems to be the case throughout much of the book of Acts and much of the New Testament. Um, now, of course, we're getting a little bit of a historical effect here because all those stories are sandwiched together. Um, but, uh, but it's true that we get this sense that many people are coming to Christ and we look around in our communities, in our lives, we don't see the same kind of movement. Why is that? Why is it, in other words, that we see in Scripture such a powerful movement of people turning to God? And we see throughout history such powerful movements of people turning to God. And yet when we look at our own communities and our own relationships, stories like that seem to be the exception rather than the rule, seem to be rare. One possibility is that there are fewer non-Christians around. Um, Now, I'll say that there's a ring of truth to that. I've lived in the South for the vast majority of my life. And if you ask someone in the South where they go to church, 
They'll have an answer for you. Even if they haven't been to that church in 30 years, they'll have an answer. Um, the question I'm, I'm left with, though, is, is, is that what we really mean by bringing someone to Christ? Is that what we really mean by someone having faith in Christ? By someone being loved by God and, and their lives being transformed by that love? According to a recent Barna Group poll, uh, the, the most church city in the USA, you'll, you'll all be glad to know, is Chattanooga, Tennessee. That is the most church city in the USA. Um, now, what that means is in Chattanooga, almost six out of ten people are churched. That sounds pretty good initially. You know, 60% of the, the city are churched. Um, until you consider that the definition of church these days is that these people have been to church once within the last six months for something other than a wedding or a funeral. That's the definition we're using for churched. Now, that's a pretty low bar, and even with that low bar, you're looking at four out of ten people, 40% of the people in the most church city in the USA, who pretty much don't go to church at all. I, I'm not convinced that, that when we look at the world around us, we're actually dealing with a world of mostly Christians. Um, and if that ever was the case, I'm convinced it's, it's not anymore, and it's increasingly less so. I'm not, uh, in other words, buying into the everyone in the South is a Christian argument. Now, it is a different conversation to have with someone uh, who believes they're a Christian and yet doesn't know Christ very well. That's a different sort of conversation than, say, uh, someone who believes they're a Buddhist or a Hindu. Um, but, uh, but it is, in real terms, evangelization. It's, it's a conversation of sharing the gospel. And um, while there are fewer non-Christians, maybe, for us to uh, work with, relate to today, there are still plenty of them around. So I'm not convinced that that's the reason we don't see people turning to Christ. Another possibility is that we don't see people coming to Christ around us because people simply don't want what we have. That what we are offering them, that the gospel is simply not appealing to them. It's, it's not something they're interested in. Jesus does not interest them. Now we know there will always be people who reject Christ. That was the case in the first century. That'll be the case in the 21st century. But in our gospel reading, Jesus sees the crowd. And he looks at them and we read that he has compassion on them. Why does he have compassion on them? Because he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. They need him. And the fact is, this is our natural state. This is the state of all of us before Christ. All of us are sheep without a shepherd. There's no human being on this planet who does not feel deeply in his heart. Some people very, very deeply below their own awareness. But there's no one who does not feel in his heart a desire to be made right with God, to be loved by God. Now, as I said, not everyone will turn to Christ, but everyone is in need of him. And I think that if we understand, if we take the time to understand the way people around us think, what makes them tick, the more we delve into them and understand them, the more clearly we'll see that need, that desire that's always present. It's part of why I so appreciate art and literature and music that come from outside of the church. I, I was raised in a culture where most of my art and literature and music came from inside of the church. Um, and, uh, and I love that stuff too, but if you spend any time at all with the arts that come from outside of the church, what you begin to realize without a doubt is that people do desire God. People desperately desire God. 
They desire his eternity. They desire his wisdom, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his justice, his love, his beauty, his goodness, his truth. Now, they don't desire him only. They don't desire him alone. And that leads to problems. You always see the sinfulness of our hearts at work in our creation. But if you listen, you also hear those echoes of desire for God, that uh, reminder that these people are sheep without a shepherd. There are always people who are broken, in other words, people who are eager and hungry to know the God that we know. So I'm not convinced that there's simply no need or desire for the gospel anymore. Another possibility is that we don't see people coming to Christ because we simply lack the right strategy. We're just not going about it the right way. You know, if we just had if we just had a clearer strategy. Now, let me say there's a place in the church for strategy. When we're talking about the church on a national scale, that might make some sense. When we're making plans, planning our future. But the fact is, I I don't know of any real and beneficial relationship in my life that began with a good strategy. Um, Certainly not my relationship with my wife, not my relationship with my children, um, not any of the good friends I've had over the years. None of those relationships have have begun with strategy. And in fact, when we look at the New Testament, we don't see the apostles strategizing. We don't see them sitting in a room planning, okay, we need to reach this place and this place and this place and uh, build a network of Christians between these urban centers so that we can reach these areas. They're not doing that. They're going out, following as best they can God's leadings, and at times the strategies seem kind of crazy. When you consider the fact that Jesus never left Israel, Jesus, the Son of God, never left Israel. That's not a very good strategy. We're talking about a space that if if Jesus was born in Moultrie, if Jesus was born in South Georgia, he would have visited Tifton, Albany, Thomasville. He would have gotten as far as Tallahassee. He never would have been to Savannah, never would have been to Macon, certainly never would have been to Atlanta. That's the area that we're talking about Jesus being born living, ministering, and dying in. That's not good strategy. But yet the gospel works. It works in those small, out-of-the-way places. So I'm not convinced that strategy is the problem. So if the problem isn't that everyone's already a Christian, if if the problem isn't that people don't want what we have, if if the problem isn't that we just don't have the right strategy, then, then... Why do we not see people coming to Christ around us? What is the problem? Or, uh, let me frame the question more positively. If we want God to work through us to bring others to himself, if we want him to carry out the mission of his church in us, if we want him to bless our community the way that he blessed the apostles and the early church by that blessing of getting to watch people come to Christ and getting to watch their lives being transformed. What do we need to do? Well, that brings us back around, actually, to the words of our Lord. He said to his apostles, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, there's always going to be some mystery in this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As Christians, we believe that those of us who are baptized, we've received the Holy Spirit. We're part of the body of Christ. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, 
in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we hear the word witness, I'm not sure that we fully grasp what it means. What is a witness exactly? What is a witness? Somebody who's seen something. That's it. Somebody who's seen something. What's a good witness? Someone who's really seen it. What's a bad witness? Maybe someone who hasn't really seen it or hasn't understood what they've seen. But a witness is simply someone who has seen something. That's all there is to it. So Jesus tells the disciples they will be his witnesses. They will tell others what they have seen. Jesus' call is to watch him, to look at him, to watch him at work in our world, and then to share what we've seen. The apostles didn't have strategies. The apostles weren't surrounded by a culture that was any friendlier to the gospel than our own. But the apostles saw Christ. In his glory, in his beauty, in his power, they saw Jesus. They saw God's love for them embodied. They saw the Son of God. They heard his compassion. They felt his power. They gazed on his suffering. And they wondered at his victory over death. They saw Jesus. And it made a difference in their lives. St. Peter went from being a violent zealot to one who welcomed Gentiles into the church. St. Paul went from being a killer of Christians to a defender of the faith. Tax collectors became driven by love instead of greed. Uneducated fishermen became confessors of the faith. People's lives changed because of Christ. They saw God's love, it changed their lives, and they shared that with others. It's that simple. I'm convinced that if we do not see around us the same sort of transformation taking place in the world, maybe, maybe we need to turn at the work toward the work that God is doing within us and ask, how do I see God at work within me? Have I seen God at work within me and in my life? Do I have, have I seen something to bear witness to? Have I seen something that's worth sharing with others? If I have, then it's as simple as sharing what I've seen. If I haven't, then the next step is what the next step always is, which is to return to Christ in confession and repentance, to pray and to seek him at his altar, to come on our knees looking for his work. All that is required of us, in other words, is that we watch the work of Christ, that we attend to his work in our own lives, to love us, to forgive us, to transform us, and then without embellishment, without pretense, simply to bear witness to the work that he's done within us and among us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.